When I was in a freshman in college, an upperclassman asked me if I wanted to study the Bible with him. And I thought, this is great. I'm at a secular college. Someone else wants to study the Bible with me. And so we met a few times. But I, and his invitation that I come to church with him became uh, less an invitation and more an insistence. It became a demand. And he was saying, you've got to leave your church and come to my church. Uh, well, I became increasingly uh, resistant. He became increasingly aggressive. And eventually, we just parted ways. Turns out this guy was a part of the Boston Church of Christ, which is a cult. It's not just your typical Church of Christ. It's a known cult. And I had been targeted, and they were trying to suck me in. Praise God, that did not happen. Fast forward a few years, I'm now a uh, youth pastor at Change Point, and a couple of Young people grew up in the church. They're now youth leaders, married. And they get sucked into a cult here in Anchorage. The next thing I know, they're eating vegetarian. That's not, that's not a sign of being in a cult. Well, it was for this, for this group. But she's covering her head. She's wearing floor-length dresses. And as is almost always the case of distinctive with cults, as they say, you must come join us, leave the church you're attending, even break from the family. This young couple ended up going as missionaries with that cult to Mexico, and now they're back in the States, and they're not Christians at all. So we are studying 2 Peter, extremely practical book. The uh, series title is Sure-Footed Faith. Peter does not want us to stumble as Christians. He wants us to remain faithful uh, and, and as a result to enjoy all that we have in Jesus Christ and not get sidetracked or sidelined. And so in our text today, he warns us about false teaching. It's out there. It will intersect our lives. And if we get sucked in, it can shipwreck our faith and it has eternal consequences. Are you adequately prepared to spot false teaching and flee from it? So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 2. The entire chapter is dealing with false teaching. I'm going to zero in today on the first three verses. But false prophets also arose among the people. Now, at the end of chapter 1, Peter had been talking about the fact that God sent prophets to his people Israel with his word for the people. And that word was the word of God. And it's been written down in the scriptures. And so we read in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there is true teaching. There is the Word of God, and it, is, it has been written down and preserved for us in the Bible. But false prophets also arose among the people. There have always been false teachers in the church seeking to lead us astray. 
just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Are you able to spot false teaching? You need to be. Because you will very likely be targeted. And you will absolutely encounter false teaching. You'll hear it on the radio. You'll see it on the web. You'll watch it on TV. It might be in some of the magazines or books you read. You will encounter false teaching. And it is trying to... Uh, to lure you in. It is trying to deceive you. It's trying to get a hold on your life. And if it does, it can totally shipwreck your faith and it has dire consequences. And so I want you to just pause a moment and ask yourself, how capable, how able am I to spot false teaching? Assess yourself. Where do you want to be? And what needs to change for you to get from here to there? Maybe it's BSF, right? I think uh, the Lord, it was not coincidental that the Lord uh, tied the BSF announcement with today's message. Well, what is false teaching? False teaching is anything that contradicts or goes beyond the Bible's teaching. Any, anything that claims to be spiritual truth that is not taught in the Bible is false teaching. Right? So what is true teaching? True teaching is the Word of God. False teaching is anything that contradicts it or goes beyond it. If anybody comes to you and says something like, I have a revelation, I have a word of knowledge, that no one else has, and you need it. God has given me an insight that you can't find in the Bible. You are dealing with a false teacher. If somebody comes to you and says, I have insight into the Bible's teaching that has been missed for hundreds and hundreds of years by the people of God, you are dealing with a false teacher. Novelty is one of the quickest paths to heresy. You don't want to be unique when it comes to Christian beliefs. You want to be normal. What you want to do is you want to say, you want to put yourself right in the center of historic Christianity. Have the people of God believed this throughout the ages? If so, that's what I want to believe. That's safe. Do you really think that God has hidden an important truth from his people for 2,000 years? No way. So if you are believing something that very few other Christians believe, be worried. You don't want to be there. You want to be normal. You want to be average. You want to be historical, right? When it comes to your theology. When it comes to your theology. Yeah, you do. Uh, You're not trying to be special. You don't want special knowledge. You want what God has given his people throughout, throughout history. 
Now, false teachers mix in just enough truth for it to appear legitimate. They don't come openly proclaiming that they are a false teacher. Verse 1, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, not openly, secretly. They claim to be Christians. They are leaders in the church. They, they are teaching the Bible, so they claim. And a whole lot of what they're saying is true, but they, they uh, slip in their, their heresy right alongside the truth. And so unless you're adequately equipped, unless you're adequately um, suspicious, you can, get, you can get taken in. You can be deceived. You can be deceived. Now, Peter is talking here about essential doctrines of the faith. Uh, here at Clearwater Church, we talk about three different types of beliefs. The essentials, the convictions of our church in particular, and then the non-essentials or the areas in which we have freedom. So if you want to become a member of the church, we have a very small statement of faith. It's just a few points, and it seeks to capture the essentials. Here's what Christians throughout the ages have believed. These are, if you want to be a Christian, you have to believe these things. And that's all you need to assent to in order to be a member here of Clearwater Church. And so we, we demand agreement in the essentials. But then there's this category of convictions, and, it's, and if you want to know our convictions, you go online to uh, our statement of faith online. It's, it's much more um, substantial. But you can be a member of our church and not agree with all these things, but we ask that you not teach or agitate for something different. So we, want, we demand unity, right? Or peace. Now, if you're an elder or a pastor on staff, you must assent to the entire uh, statement of faith. Uh, but these are, it, they include things that we don't, do not, we recognize are not essentials to the gospel. So things like we have a male only eldership. You could be a Christian and, and not hold that position, uh, and other such things. And then everything else, we say, look, everything else we can talk about and debate and uh, have differing opinions, so uh, everything else we grant freedom. So Peter's talking about the essentials, because the essentials are what matter, uh, truly matter for eternity and can shipwreck your faith. So what are the essentials? Well, Christian people have been trying to identify the essentials uh, for many hundreds of years. In fact, the Apostles' Creed is, uh, reflects an, an early attempt by the church to um, clarify the essentials of the Christian faith. We know it's been around at least since 390 because we have a reference to it in some early Christian uh, letters. So let me go through the Apostles' Creed. This is uh, still said today in many churches. Here it is. And it, there are three parts. It's here's what we believe about the Father. Here's what we believe about the Son. Here's what we believe about the Holy Spirit. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It says a lot. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. Notice how historically specific that is. This isn't a myth. This happened. And he he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So, do you believe those things? Because that is Christianity. Those are the essential beliefs. And you should, if you call yourself a Christian, you should be able to mentally assent to all those things and be in agreement with that. If not, we should probably talk. Let me talk about uh, some common false teachings today. Uh, these are circulating. Uh, you've encountered them almost certainly. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list. This is the list that Pastor James and I came up with when we sat down and said, what are some common false teachings today? And we identified these four. Number one, Christianity is about living your best life now. Uh, it's not, what God is trying to do is help you uh, have a good life on earth. There's not going to really be a judgment day. There's not going to be a real heaven and a hell. Christianity is about living your best life now. Uh, that is false. Absolutely helps us live our best life now. But it is by no means limited to this life. Jesus will return and judge the living and the dead. And there, are, there is an eternity for us. And it's an eternity either with God in heaven or separated from God in hell. Second common false teaching. God gives you what you deserve. Okay, this is a transactional view of God in which God wants from us worship and obedience and maybe be on mission. And if we give that to the Lord, then he's happy with us and he will give back to us what we want, right? Uh, Which typically is the American dream. And so we want to have children and a good job and physical health, right? Health and wealth. You've heard the health and wealth gospel? This is a derivative of that. And the health and wealth gospel says God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's his heart for you. You just need to have enough faith and be obedient enough. And if you are somehow not healthy or wealthy, you're either lacking faith or you've displeased the Lord. And that's a very prevalent and it's false teaching and it shipwrecks many people's faith. Then there is faith plus works equals salvation. Yes, you need Jesus, but Jesus' sacrificial death upon the cross isn't enough. You have to couple that, add to that, your own goodness. So Jesus plus your own merits, your own good works, is what gets you saved. And then finally there's Christianity is only one of many ways to God. Yes, Jesus is a way. Uh, Being a Christian is one path to to heaven, one path to a relationship with God. But you you can go there also other ways. Jesus is not 
the only way, the truth, and the life. Let's talk about the number one best way to inoculate yourself to false teaching. What is the one thing, the, the number one thing you can do to protect yourself from being sucked in? And it's not to go study all the various heretical teachings out there. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but it's to know the truth. Uh, study the word. Know the Bible. So that you develop a th uh, heresy sniffer. You're not sure why that smells, but you're like, that just smells off. Something about that. And, and then you go study like the Bereans, right, who even, they even uh, took what the Apostle Paul taught them and went back to the scriptures to make sure that it was correct. And they're applauded for being uh, appropriately suspicious and going back to the word. So we want to develop a theological nose, right, just, just so we can sniff something if it's off and then track it down. So the way that we do that is we... We learn the truth. Uh, so if you have a $20 bill, just give it to me afterwards. But for right now, pull out a $20 bill. I'm serious. If you have a $20 bill, pull it out. If not, bummer. Pull out a $20 bill. And so um, from what I've heard, bank tellers are trained to spot counterfeits by uh, really studying the real thing. You learn, you learn what the real note feels like, and then when you are encounter counterfeits, something, you know, you got that nose, you're like, yeah, something's off here. So I want to talk a little bit about what the Federal Reserve does to make it difficult to counterfeit the $20 bill or ways that we can uh, spot counterfeits. First off is raised printing. So if you feel the $20 bill, it has a distinctive texture, and that's because there's just a slight raised printing. So you can move your finger along and feel that. Uh, secondly is micro-printing. And if you had a magnifying glass, you would be able to see that there, there are some words uh, down in the lower left corner that read USA 20, or the word 20 spelled out USA the United States of America, 20, USA 20, a little micro-printing. Uh, thirdly, there is a security thread. So if you hold the note up to a light, uh, on the left-hand side running vertically up and down, uh, you can see the, uh, the, a thread there, and on the thread is imprinted USA 20, and a small flag. Uh, then there is a watermark. So on the right-hand side, we're over here, on the right-hand side is a watermark, and the image, uh, it's a portrait. It's the image, I believe, of Hamilton, and you should see that also in the light. And then finally, there's a color-shifting ink. So the little 20 down in the lower right-hand column, if you turn it, you'll see it go from copper to green. Okay, so uh, the Federal Reserve has built in uh, some identity markers. And if you, if you really studied it and learned it, you, it would be relatively easy for you to identify a counterfeit because, frankly, it's, it's hard to truly counterfeit all that stuff. All right? In the same way, uh, theologically, as we 
learn the Bible and especially drill down on the essentials. Learn, get the essential doctrines down cold. And if you get them down cold, the, and they're not that big, many of them, then it will develop your uh, heresy sniffer, your theological nose. And this is important. This is important because, uh, because false teaching is destructive, it defiles, and it defames. Let's look at that. Number one, false teaching destroys. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Why are they destructive? They're destructive because the consequence can be people going to hell. What you believe can get you to heaven, and what you believe can also get you sent to hell. John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, amen, that he gave his only son, praise God, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What an, what an unbelievable uh, promise. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to, the, to condemn the world. What a great heart. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's God's desire. God is not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. But then verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Boom, that can be you. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What we believe about Jesus matters and has eternal consequences. So it's destructive. When I was a missionary in Russia, it was relatively early on. I had not yet gotten uh, a good command of the language, but I could say a few things, and I encountered a, a Jehovah's Witness evangelist, and I was stirred in my spirit, and I remember in my uh, very limited Russian, I came up and I said, that's bad. What you're doing is wrong. Jesus is God. Stop it. And that was about all I could say, and I remember this person just looked at me like, what? Um, I don't know what the Lord did, but I'm Trusting I was prompted by God. Maybe they stopped it. <laughs> That'd been good. So, look, it's a big deal. False teaching, it, it, it destroys people. It has uh, eternal, truly has some eternal consequences. Number two, false teaching defiles. Verse two, many will follow their sensuality. So, in Peter's day, the heretics were claiming that uh, there was a, a big difference between the flesh and the spirit. And that God was redeeming the spirit, not the flesh. As a result, God didn't, it doesn't matter to God what you do in the body. The body is temporary. The body will die. And so God doesn't care what you do in the body. He's interested in your spirit. What you believe matters, not what you do. That hasn't totally gone away, has it? Well, as a result, these supposed Christians were saying, you can satisfy the lusts of the flesh, and that's not going to affect you spiritually. And so there was lots of sexual immorality. Uh, Paul had to deal with this in, in Corinth. This was going rampant in the church in Corinth. 
And Paul was like, that is false theology. That's rooted in heretical teaching. Stop it. And so, but, but here's the deal. Uh, unfortunately, people become Christians, and uh, they're finding the ethical standard quite difficult because it is, and it's frankly impossible apart from the Holy Spirit helping us exercise self-control. And then they encounter these Christian teachers saying, don't worry about it. You can keep doing that. That doesn't bother God at all. And, and then it just, um, it continues, they, they continue in, in their sin. And here's what he says in verse 18. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they, the false teasers, enticed Entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. In other words, they've just come out of the world. They're in the church. They're Christians. They're starting to make strides in holy living. And then the false teaching sucks them right back into their immoral behavior. And how sad that is. I came across a testimony of a now a reverend, Stephen Black, he said that when he was a young man, he was in a marriage-type relationship with another man. Uh, and he, but he began to be a little convicted of, you know, maybe God's not okay with this. And he voiced that to Michael, his uh, boyfriend. And so, seeking to reassure him, Michael took Stephen to a priest. And the priest said, God made you this way. He is perfectly okay with your homosexuality. There's nothing wrong. Continue doing what you're doing. And Stephen said that kept him trapped in this homosexual relationship for many more months. But he was spiritually curious, and he was reading the Bible, and he said, one day I came across Leviticus 18.22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. And all of a sudden, the truth penetrated his mind and his heart. He got down on his knees, confessed his sin, and changed. But think how many people are being affirmed in their, their sin is being affirmed. How many, cheat, how many churches are saying, God made you that way, it's okay, go live that way. Uh, God's, you know, sex is only reserved for male and female in the context of marriage, that's outdated, God understands uh, your passions he doesn't really require that of you. And so false teaching defiles because it keeps people bound up in their sin. Number three, false teaching defames. Because of them, the false teachers, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The way of truth will be blasphemed. Uh, some famous Christian musicians, uh, Gungor. Lisa and Michael Gungor. Now, they grew up in a church that taught a transactional view of God. You give God what he wants, he gives you what you want. They were in their early 20s, and they landed a, they became the worship leaders of a 10,000-person megachurch. And uh, Lisa says, that confirmed our transactional understanding of God. We figured, you know, we've been good Christians. We didn't have uh, sex until we got married. We've been trying to serve the Lord, and he is now giving us what we want, this incredible gig where we get to travel around the world, and, and we're famous. 
And so that lasted for a while until they wanted to get pregnant. And then Lisa couldn't get pregnant. And she started to, what's going on? Have we disappointed God? What, is he angry with us? But they examined their lives. They're like, we can't find anything wrong. Then her cousin, a faithful Christian, uh, had cancer. And the family prayed and with faith and fervency, and the cousin died. And at that point, Michael Gunger lost his faith and said, I, I, am, I now no longer believe. I'm an atheist. Uh, and then they had a child with Down syndrome, and Lisa says, I still believe in something. I just don't know what uh, to call myself. I'm certainly not a Christian. And so I, I can't help but hear that story and think, had they been reared with the real gospel, would their faith have been shipwrecked? Their faith is shipwrecked because they had a faith in a false god. It wasn't the true gospel that they were putting their faith in. And of course it didn't work. Because false teaching doesn't, doesn't match up with real life. And the problem is um, that when people are involved in false teaching and then it doesn't work... They, they don't then turn, very often, they don't then turn and try to find the real thing. They just walk away. Uh, I've heard that Mormons who turn their back on Mormonism almost always just go and become atheistic. It's not like they then become Christians. It's because the attitude is, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? I've been burned. I don't want to be burned again. And so false teaching, it's, it is a, it's a big deal with real consequences. Takeaways. I have five takeaways. Number one, be on guard against false teaching. Be aware that it's out there, that you are targeted, uh, and you're going to encounter false teaching. Number two, believe that you can know the truth. Uh, Peter, the, the whole Bible always speaks to us as if we can know the truth from the lie. Uh, and that is possible because as a Christian, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit teaches you. Also, as a human, you're created in the image of God, and God gives you the, the divine ability to work, to deal in language. And it's not just the uh, church leaders who have the ability to know the truth. It's the every Christian. So you can know the truth, and that should motivate you then to study the Bible. So the third takeaway is invest time and energy in Bible study. You have to know the word so that you can smell uh, false teaching when it comes your way. And that takes time and energy. And praise God, there are tools out there like Bible Study Fellowship, where you, somebody else is doing a whole lot of the work for you, and you have accountability and maybe even lunch. <laughs> Number four, select your spiritual inputs carefully. Don't just listen to every podcast you find on iTunes, don't take in every website. You, know, you type search something, and oh, look. You, you select your inputs carefully. Don't read every book and believe it, or every article and believe it. 
um, be thoughtful about what you're going to be, uh, what well you're drinking from. from. And if you, if you have questions about that, uh, there's a lot of good wisdom here. We have elders and pastors and many others who can help out. And then finally, stay connected to a good church. Stay connected to a good church. It's a lot easier to get sucked into false teaching when you are isolated. But when you are in a community and you're uh, bouncing your ideas off other Christian people, most likely they'll throw up the, the yellow flag of caution, right? Whoa, that doesn't sound right. Uh, something seems off about that. And hopefully they can uh, protect you. And, and hopefully, you know, you want to be in a church where they are um, teaching the truth so that you're getting a, ra- a re- steady diet of true teaching. Okay? Well, let's pray. Um, right now, I just want you to be asking this question in your mind and heart. How prepared are you right now to spot false teaching? Are you prepared? Do you feel inoculated? How well do you know the truth? And where do you want to be? So the fall is coming, and with the fall start our journey groups, Bible study fellowship, other, uh, other groups. And I will, I'm challenging you to, right now to make a commitment to the Lord. This school year, I will invest time and energy into studying your word so that I will be that Uh, It'll be that much harder for a false teacher to suck me in. Will you make that commitment in your mind and heart? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.